So you ready to get altered today? I'm creating a new verb. Get altered. All right, look at your neighbor and just say, it's time to get altered. Well, let's do a quick review. Last week, we talked about uh, hard things. Ever gone through some hard things? You know, a seismic, cataclysmic event happens. Tectonic plates shift. Volcanic eruptions occur. Things explode. And what used to be a solid, you know, foundation in your life is now fragmented in little pieces. And we all have brokenness in our life. And I had a little gunny sack last week of rocks. And we said, you can throw those over your shoulder and you can just carry them around in life. And, and you know, that's what happens a lot. I was thinking about this last night as I was looking over my notes. I thought a lot of people, they think, I don't know. Oh, man, I wish I could just get some relief. I have a back problem. I don't, I don't know why I have a back problem. But they, they try to treat the symptoms of the back problem. But really, the real problem is the burden that they're carrying. You got to go a layer further, right? You can't just med- and they medicate and say, well, if I can just sleep with enough women, drink enough booze, if I can just have enough friends, be popular enough on instant, you know, Instagram, get enough likes, you know, just fill in the blank, however you medicate. But the real problem is you need to do something different with your brokenness. Instead of carrying it around or getting it out of the bag and throwing it at people when you get irritated. You ever been that angry guy? I, I have, I'm sure. But you can carry your brokenness around or you can take your brokenness before God and you can be honest with him about it because it's not like he doesn't know, right? It's not like he, does, he says, oh my God or oh myself, I didn't know you were so broken and messed up. So you take your brokenness before God and you arrange it before him and you just worship him over, I'm not trying to build an altar here, it's not working, but anyway, I don't have enough material. But just build before God with your brokenness because last week we talked about God builds with the broken. So if you think, well man, my life's really broken, perfect. Bring it, but don't, don't hide it, don't carry it around, don't throw it at other people. Don't, don't get stoned. <laughs> Arrange it in the presence of God. Build an altar with your brokenness and worship God. Put on it what he asked for because God builds with the broken. So we have an altar out in the hallway. So last week, I did something very brave as a pastor last week. I put a rock in everybody's chair. I was like, man, I hope everybody likes this sermon. I'm going to be in trouble. I will get stoned. <laughs> anyway, so we said take... Take your brokenness and just write it on that stone and put it in the altar. And there's still some stones out there if you want to do that. Some people took, they exchanged one stone of their brokenness and they wrote Jesus and hope and love on it. And they took that as a reminder that my rock is Jesus now. I don't have to carry brokenness around. So go out there and tell everybody you got stones at church. So there you go. In a good way, in a good way. So uh, that was a little quick review from last week. We started this series talking about how that Abraham was a very successful person, and we can. And if you want to be successful, you can follow the clues that successful people lead. So if you find someone who's financially successful, you do the things that they did, and you can get similar results. If you find someone who's physically fit, you know you can start finding out what they do and start doing that, and you'll get a similar result. So. If you find someone who has great kids, find out how they raise their kids, and you can have a similar result, although we know all kids are different. But you see, you see the point. Success leaves clues. And we also discussed how that one of the things that Abraham did, 
is everywhere he went, he built an altar or he had a meeting place where he met with God on a consistent, regular basis. I can't say that enough as, as your friend, as your pastor, that if you're going to, quote unquote, succeed, have good success in life, you're going to have to meet with God on a regular basis. He's a great partner to have because he knows everything. And he's got a lot of resources. So we said that worship is a key. Now, if you find the very first time worship was mentioned in the Bible, it wasn't, uh, you know, an amazing, well, I mean, by the way, speaking of amazing, wow, did these guys do a great job today or what? Wow, they like modulated four times. It was great. Anyway, so the first time worship was mentioned, it wasn't an ensemble singing harmonies or it wasn't, you know, somebody thumping on the bass or playing that new snare. It, it was, it was uh, not even passing the plate and putting gold coins in the basket. The first time worship was mentioned in the Bible, it involved a knife and something being killed. Right? <clears throat> I thought about, uh, you know, last week I gave everybody rocks. And this week I said, wouldn't it be great if, you know, we gave, on the way out we gave everybody a, a little Harvest Church pocket knife. You know, to you know, worship with a knife. Because we said there's some things have to die so that other things can live. If you want the right things to live in your life, the wrong things have to die. Can I get a better Amen. So I thought about getting everybody a knife, and the staff was like, Pastor, you're giving rocks, you're giving them knives, we can't arm the sheep, you know what I'm saying? So, just, so they talked me out of it, but I thought it was a good idea. Anyway, so this week, let's pick back up and uh, with our main character, which is Abraham. We said last week also, before we move on, that real faith is not, will I get from God what I'm asking for? Because we all, how many of you believe in God for some things? Anybody got a vision book, a vision board? Uh, I mean, you believe in to go further faster this year? I know I am, and I know you are. And so, yeah, we got some stuff we're believing God for. I tried to come up with our top 10 uh, goals for Harvest Church, you know, and staff meeting the other day, and I came up with 13 things. So, you know, we're believing God for some things. And, but real faith, we think, is am I going to receive from God what I have asked Him for? But actually, real faith is not, will I get from God what I've asked him for, but will God get from you what he's asked you for? Because that takes real trust, doesn't it? Do you really trust him? Abraham had to express his trust when he offered God Isaac, his only son. You know the story. And we won't go into it today, but the question last week we asked is, what's your Isaac? What's that precious thing that God's asking you for? Will you trust him with it? Because real faith is obedience. So we're going to pick up there. Let's go to Genesis chapter 12. If you'll open your Bibles or they'll put it up on the screen for you. <clears throat> Genesis chapter 12. And we're going to see where it says in verse 1, God said to Abraham, he said, get out of your country, get away from your family. I mean, that's a good word for somebody right there. Just anyway. One person said, you know why God gave you family is to get you ready for your enemies. <laughs> that's not true, though. That's not true. Okay. Unless you have siblings. But anyway. And from your father's house. So get out of your father's house. And so for somebody else, that's a good word. You're like, yes, that's for my 30-year-old kid. Please get out of my house. Go to a land that I will show you, and I will make you a great nation. So if you're watching us online today, you'll see in this passage where God says several times, I will. you got to know God's will because faith begins where the will of God is known. So God said, I will make you great. God, it's his will to make you great. 
He goes on to say, and I will bless you. It's God's will to bless you. Some of you, that's good news. You're like, I didn't know that. Yes, God's not out to get you. He's out to bless you. He goes on to say, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. And I will bless those that bless you, and I will curse those that curse you. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So what did God say? Get out of your hometown. Get out of your, get away from your family. Go to a place I'm going to show you. And then it says, Abram departed as the Lord said to him, and Lot went with him. Everybody say, "Uh uh-oh. God just said, get away from your family. And he took Lot, his nephew, with him. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your descendants, I will give this land. In other words, I told you, I'm not giving this to Lot. I'm not giving this to your nephew. I'm giving this to you and to your kids. Abraham's probably thinking, I don't have any kids. That's why I brought Lot along. You know, it's like a backup plan. You ever had a backup plan in case God's plan didn't work? You don't have to raise your hand. (laughs) Then Abram built an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. So, a couple of things. If you want to be a blessed businessman, because we, we read last week that Abraham, he went down to Egypt, and when he came out, he was not just rich. The Bible says he was very rich. Thank you for that. Hallelujah. I know, right? So if the Bible... I mean, it would have been cool if the Bible said he was rich, but the Bible said he was what? Very rich. That was like, I want to be a billionaire so freaking bad. And, and he was. He was like an ancient billionaire. He wasn't rich. He was very rich. Now, did you know that Jesus came so that the blessing of Abraham might come upon you? Amen. Just receive that. So if you want to be a blessed businessman like Abraham was, then you got to do what Abraham did. What did he do? He obeyed. And when he went to Egypt and realized, oh, I shouldn't be here. I'm in the wrong place. What did he do? He went back to where he was supposed to be. How many of there's a right there and a wrong there? <laughs> right? Tell your neighbor, say, get right there. <laughs> so you do what God tells you to do. You bring your family to church. You give offerings. You obey God, right? But here's one thing that Abraham did. He took Lot with him. He wasn't supposed to do that. So here's the title of the message today. What's your lot in life? Because some of you are carrying a lot with you. What's your lot in life? Because the lots in life will keep you from the greater things of God. Let's go. Let's keep reading here. Now, I think this is chapter 13, but it says in verse 6, now, the land was not able to support them. Oh, chapter, yeah, it's chapter 13. That they might dwell there together. Why? Their possessions were so great, they could not dwell together. So Abraham and Lot were both blessed and rich. I mean, this was a blessing of association. Lot was blessed because he was hanging out with the blessed man, Abraham. Verse 7. And there was strife between the herdsmen of Abram and Lot's herdsmen. So their staff was not getting along. The Canaanites and the Perizzites dwelt in the land. Doesn't say anything yet about the termites and the cellulites, but they were probably nearby. Verse 8, so Abram said to Lot, please, let there be no strife between you and me. So see how nice he was? Between your herdsmen and my herdsmen, for we're brethren. It's not the whole land before you. Please separate from me. Isn't that a nice way to say get lost? Please separate from me. If, if you take the left, then I'll go to the right. And if you go to the right, I'll go to the left. 
And Lot lifted up his eyes and saw all the plain of Jordan, that it was well watered. And everywhere, before the, this is before the Lord destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt as you go to Zoar. Then Lot chose for himself. That's an interesting turn of phrase to me. Lot chose for himself all the plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed east. And they separated from each other. And Abram dwelt in the land of Canaan. Why? Because that's where God told him to go. Go to the Canaan land. And Lot dwelt in the cities of the plain, and he pitched his tent even as far as Sodom. And the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked and sinful against the Lord. Now, notice that Lot, he faced his tent towards the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah. Now, I don't have to tell you that those were not good places, right? You know that. In fact, it got so bad that at one point, God dropped atomic fire on the whole place and wiped out Sodom and Gomorrah. And most theologians and historians believe that the location, the former location of Sodom and Gomorrah is what is now the bottom of the Dead Sea. So that the earth would always know what that particular sin produces, death. It's getting quiet up in here, but it's true anyhow. So God isn't mad at anybody. He poured all of his anger and wrath out on Jesus, but sin still kills. The wages of sin is death. Now, we love sinners, but we hate sin because it hurts people, whatever that sin might be. It could be gossip, it could be homosexuality, just fill in the blank. Sin is sin, and it still kills people. And that's why God hates sin, because he loves you. So Lot turned his life towards that, but we see that Abraham turned his life towards obeying God's word. He turned his life towards the word of God. And eventually Lot, because of the way he was facing, he ended up not just facing that way, he moved into the city of Sodom. It was bad. And eventually, God had to send an angel to rush Lot out and to rescue him. And as he's running out of the city, the atomic fire of God falls and he's barely saved. He and what's left of his family. How many know that connecting with the wrong people will not only destroy you, but it'll destroy your family? And that's what Lot did. So, which direction is your life facing? Man, y'all quiet this morning. Verse 14. And the Lord said to Abram, after Lot separated from him. So can I just say that when you separate yourself from the wrong people, that's probably when God's going to speak to you too. And it's not that he's not speaking. You just can't hear him. So after he separated from Lot, God spoke to him. And he said, lift up your eyes now. What do you mean now? Now that you've done what I told you to do, you got away from the wrong people, and you have your life facing the right direction, now I'm going to talk to you. Isn't that good? So when you come to the altar and you just, you don't have to even be perfect, you know, who's going to do that? (laughs) Jesus. That's about it. That's why it says no perfect people allowed on the side of the building. But you can at least be facing the right direction. You can at least come to church, connect to a small group, hang out with the right people. Who are the right people? The ones that are just trying and who are facing the right direction also. You think, well, I, 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 I'm hanging out at the bar, but I only have one drink. How I many? That's not the issue. The issue is who's there? Who, their lot is there. 
And Lot, it's not good for you. Abraham wasn't hearing from God until he got rid of a lot. (laughs) So here's clue number two. Abraham could not enter into his destiny because of Lot. He took a lot with him. Wrong associations and toxic relationships will cripple you in life. If you're taking notes, that's a great thing to jot down. If you're not taking notes, that's a great thing to jot down. I'll say it again. Wrong associations and toxic relationships will cripple you in life and keep you from the promises of God. The things that you long for in the depths of your soul, you won't walk in those as long as you choose to walk with the wrong people. Not everybody in life deserves to be your friend. So, your lot in life will keep you from the big things of God. I'm going to say that again. Your lot in life, your lot in life will keep you from the big things of God. Those words were the last journal entry words that my spiritual father, my pastor, wrote in his journal before he died suddenly of a massive heart attack at age 45. And I'll tell you in a few moments what his lot in life was. Now, they're supposed... There's something that, that you were asked to do by the Lord that you haven't done yet. That's your lot in life. Is there someone you're supposed to get away from that you haven't gotten away from yet? That's your lot in life. What's the last thing the Lord told you to do and have you done it yet? That's your lot in life. Have you done it? Is there a sinful habit you've been convicted of that you haven't put down yet? That's your lot in life. So, and y'all know me, we're not, we love Jesus, but we're not religious, okay? You know what I mean by that? You know what, you know what religious people are? They're, they're the mean ones. <clears throat> and so that's, that's not us. We're not perfect, but we're not mean. There might be some other things, but we're not mean. Somebody says, well, I hate organized religion. I'm like, perfect, you'll love our church. Come on over. Yeah, so. And I don't, uh, we all have our issues, right? But my point is, is that I know that Jesus made 180 gallons of wine for a wedding one time. So we're not religious, But at the same time, it's not about being religious. It's about following your heart. I uh, took my family to a a steak restaurant a couple nights ago because my wife don't cook anymore. Don't tell her I said that. But anyway, um, (laughs) and so I noticed on the wall it was written, here's the wine list. And I was thinking, hmm, what wine would go nicely with this steak? And I thought, oh, I'm I'm fasting. (laughs) And then on the other, there was another column, and it said at the top, this one it said wine. And you know what the grape said when somebody stepped on him? Nothing. He just let out a little wine. So anyway, on the other, the other column, it said spirits. And I thought, spirits? I wonder if it says, you know, spirit of depression, spirit of fear, spirit of anxiety, spirit of poverty. No, it, it said, um, you know, there were some other names there. I won't, I won't mention them because I won't get them right probably. But Jen was there. <laughs> Jen with a G. So anyway, but what happens if you, if you linger long at the wine, the Bible says. It says, don't linger long at the wine. And when a beer is a brawler. So in other words, you, you drink enough of it, you're going to get in a fight. You drink enough of those spirits, what happens? There are spirits that start saying, hey, he's inviting me in. I want to see. He wants to hang out with me. And you start fellowshipping with those spirits. What do you do? You start 
thinking like those spirits. You get, you're under the influence, not just of alcohol, but of the spirits that you opened yourself up to. Depression. You know, it's a depressant. Alcohol is a depressant. Um, fighting and, you know, you get home, you have a blackout the next morning, and you think, what did I get in the fight? I don't even know. I don't even know why I got a fight, but I hope I won. <laughs> doesn't, doesn't look like it. <laughs> so... Let's, let's talk about another, about another guy. There's two boys. They were twin brothers, and they were Abraham's grandsons, Jacob and Esau. And this is in Genesis chapter 25. If you want to jot that down, they'll put it up on the screen for you. But it says, now Jacob cooked a stew. So uh, I call this man chili. I, I cook man chili from time to time at my house. And the recipe is the man finds whatever's in the kitchen, and he throws it in the pot, and you call it chili. It's man chili. My boys and I like it. <clears throat> so Jacob cooked some man chili. And Esau came in from the field. And he was weary. You ever been weary? Did you know? And I'm sure you do. You've probably experienced it like me. Is when you get weary, you don't always make the smartest decisions. When fatigue walks in, faith walks out. When you get tired, you usually get dumb. That's why you need to go to sleep. Take a nap, rest, okay? Take a day off. Just one, not every day. That's another problem. <laughs> Take a day off. But he was weary, and Esau said to Jacob, Please feed me some of that red stew, for I am weary. Therefore, his nickname became Edom, or red. So some think he might have been a redhead, or he, he might have just liked this red stew, and that's how he got his nickname, Red. They called him Red. But Jacob said, he negotiated. He goes, oh, you want some of my man chili, huh? You want a can of soup? All right. Tell me, sell me, rather, your birthright. As of today, sell me your birthright. And Esau said, look, I'm about to die, man. I'm starving to death. What good is a birthright to me? Take it. You can have it. And Jacob said, swear, pinky promise. So he swore to him and sold his birthright to Jacob. And Jacob gave Esau bread and, some, and a can of soup. And Esau ate, and he drank, and he arose, and he went his way. Thus Esau despised his birthright. There's so much there that I don't have time to get into, but can I just remind you that because you are a human being made in the image of God, you have a birthright to live a blessed life just by virtue of being human. Now, there's some things you got to go get it. I don't know, you don't win, you don't chase after success, you attract success. And you don't, you, know, uh, you, you don't get a raise, you create more value, and then you get valued more. So there, there's some things that you do, but you have a right to a blessed life. In fact, Jesus came that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Because you're, especially if you're a Christ follower, that's your born-again birthright. So don't live below the standard of what's available to you. Now, uh, Somebody, I've told you all this before, but I think it's worth repeating. I think you need to hear it on a, from time to time, but I'm a part of this group, and our mission is to shrink the racial divide in the body of Christ here in Mobile. And so one, in one of those meetings, somebody asked me, they said, well, at your church, do, do you all believe in a interracial marriage? And I said, heavens no. They thought, oh, man, do we have a racist on our hands here? And I said, no, we don't believe in interracial marriage. They said, well, why not? I said, well, because there's only one race. What other race are we going to marry? It's the human race. They were like, oh, okay. And I said, now, we don't believe in interspecies marriage either. That's really weird. But there's only one race. It's just, you know, like I tell my boys, 
when you pick a, a woman, make sure she loves Jesus more than you. And make sure that she speaks the language of kindness. And number three, make sure she's pretty because you're going to live with her a long time. <laughs> but here's the thing about the can of soup. I'm going to tell you something real quick. Would you sell your destiny for a can of soup? Esau did. Would you sell your future, your birthright? Would you, and, you know, for the right bowl of soup, many of you have done this. You have sold out your future for a bowl of soup, metaphorically speaking. So what the question is, what is your soup? Because Satan will show you something that your flesh wants and your flesh likes. And you will trade your ministry for it. You'll trade your destiny for it. You'll trade your family for it. You'll trade your career for it. You'll trade your God-given destiny for a can of soup. So here's what I tell them. I have two awesome young men as sons. And I tell them, you're going to marry the prettiest girl in the world. They're like, yeah, that's right, Dad. That's that's what I did. But one day, here's what's going to happen. Because this is common to the human race. Here's what's going to happen. You're going to be married. You know, the honeymoon phase, you know, is over, so to speak. And one day, a prettier girl is going to come along. And you're going to think, your flesh is going to think, I could have had that. But here's the deal. Remember, she's just a can of soup. Because here's the thing about your flesh that you need to know. It's never satisfied. Ever. 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 That's why the Bible says godliness with contentment is a great blessing. It brings great, great increase. Godliness with contentment. So it's just a can of soup. I'll tell you like one of my professors at Bible college told us one time. He said, fellas, he said, there's not, I was single at the time, but I wrote this down for later. But he said, uh, there's not a woman out there that has equipment that your wife doesn't already have. And then he expounded a little bit, which I won't do right now. But you get the point. The point is, your flesh is never satisfied, so don't trade something else for what you already got. What's your bowl of soup? You know, tears of joy and tears of sadness, they both come from decisions that have been made. You listening? Eve and Adam, they had it pretty good. I mean, think about it. She had everything she could ever want. They had a good life. I mean, they lived, they, they lived naked in paradise. I mean, come on. What more could a guy ask for? And all the men said. <laughs> but Satan convinced her to trade paradise for one bite of fruit. <laughs> Why? She believed the lie. It's the same lie the devil still tells today. And here's the lie. The devil convinced her that God was withholding something from her. He was keeping something back. They had thousands of trees to eat from. They lived in paradise. They were clothed in the glory of God. They lived in perfection. The only thing God was holding back from them was death. And that's the deception. God's holding something back from you. Look, the Bible says God gives us richly all things to enjoy. If he gave us his own son, Jesus, how will he not much more freely give us all things? Jesus came to give us life and life more abundantly. God's not holding anything back. 
except those things that are deadly and harmful. So uh, God, uh, the devil said, if you'll just eat of that fruit, you'll be happy. But the deception was they were already happy. If you'll eat of the fruit, you'll be like God. But they were already like God. And that's the same deception. If you'll just pop that pill, drink that liquor, sleep with that woman, you'll, but you're already got everything you need. It's just a can of soup. And once you're finished with the can of soup, it's gone. You're going to be hungry again. You won't be satisfied. So, what lie have you believed? Y- y- y'all listening out there? Y'all still there or have you gone home? You still here? One of my old preachers I used to listen to, he said it all the time, you still here or you going home? I thought, what does he mean? But I guess people check out and they go home while they're still in the sanctuary. Because I don't want to hear that. <laughs> God isn't withholding anything from you. He gave it all to you in Christ Jesus. There was a guy named Samson. You remember him. Cool hair. He man, but he had a she problem. And the Bible says one day in Judges chapter 16 that he saw, he saw a harlot. You got to be careful what you see. Because you become what you behold. And the Bible says that after that, he loved Delilah. So he opened a door. He hired a prostitute. And then he fell in love with this pagan woman. So Samson's can of soup was women. His best days were out in front of him. He was a cool dude. He was gifted, talented. He was a stud. He was the undisputed UFC champion. I mean, he was bad to the bone. He was anointed by God. He had cool hair. And it looked like he could do whatever he wanted. No repercussions. God's hands on my life. I could do whatever I want and nobody will know. But one day, everybody knew. Why? Because he had his eyes poked out and he was tied up as a slave. Because that which you yield to, you become a slave to. What did it cost Samson? Everything. Everything. It cost him everything. Judas, we know, he, we know what his soup was. It was money. He loved money. I've never met anyone who was unsuccessful because they were untalented. You can look at Matthew 25 and see the parable of the talents. And, and it's not a talent issue. It's a discipline issue. What do you got to do? You got to say no to your flesh. You got to turn off the TV. It's the pleasurable versus the needful, isn't it? Here, here's uh, here's the, my definition of discipleship. I, I don't know where I got this, but it's good. And it's, it's, it's doing... Um, surely if I was a good pastor, I would have wrote that in my notes. Here it is. Discipleship is choosing between what you want now and what you want most. Oh, that's good, isn't it? Choose life. You want to go further, faster in 2020? Connect your discipline to your wants. What you want, connect discipline to that. You'll go further, faster. So discipleship is choosing, uh, is choosing between what you want right now and choosing between you, what you want the most. And that is where the battle comes in, isn't it? Because sometimes what you want right now is going to destroy what you want most. And this is just a common thing for all people. Everybody say, I got this. 
So I'm telling you about people that blew it. But there's plenty of people in Scripture who postponed pleasure so they could fulfill their purpose. I was thinking about this this morning. It's sitting in my notes. And uh, I didn't think I was going to say this to you all because it's still kind of a half-baked thought. But you can keep baking it. But I was thinking this morning, you ever heard that phrase, there'll be hell to pay? You know what might be worse than that? Is there will be heaven to pay. You're going to have to, st- we, I am going to have to stand before God one day and give an account and pay for the decisions that I've made. So what would be worse than having hell to pay? Having heaven to pay. I don't want to owe heaven anything. I want to make sure that our accounts are clear, that I did everything I was supposed to do. I didn't, maybe I didn't do it perfectly, but I did it completely. And that can be your testimony too. Amen? You believe that? That's what we're shooting for. So my pastor, my spiritual father, without whom I would not be here today, I would not be who I am today without his influence in my life. Great man of God. But he's not here on the earth right now. Not because he wasn't anointed. Man, he was anointed. One of the most powerfully prophetic people I've ever met in my entire life. But he had a, there was a can of soup. And that can of soup was he wouldn't exercise. He kind of he got to be kind of a big guy, and but he wouldn't exercise. And, and and here's the thing: the devil will take something that's common to you and tempt you with it. And so he went to the doctor. The doctor said, "Well, you know, some things with your heart. You just need to clean up your diet and you need to exercise. Just go for, go for a walk or a jog, you know." And so his wife wanted her husband to be around, so she got him a treadmill, and she said, "Now." You know, Ronnie, you get on this treadmill and you, you know, you go, whatever it was, 2.3 miles or 3.2 miles, I don't remember what it was, but you, you walk for 30 minutes on this treadmill. And when I get back, I'm going to go to the grocery store and buy you some healthy stuff. And so she, he'd get on the treadmill and start walking and she'd back down the driveway. When she'd pull down the street, he'd, he'd say to his son, hey, because you get off the treadmill, it stops. So somebody's got to be on it. He'd call his son over, who's now a very dear friend of mine that I, I love. And he's the pastor of the church now. But he'd call his son over and go, hey, you get on the treadmill, I'll pay you 10 bucks. <laughs> so he paid his son, and I know, right, to walk on the treadmill for him. It's funny. I mean, he's just a funny guy, you know. But, but it, it is funny until it's not. So I remember the year 2000, April, I got a phone call that said, please come to the emergency room now pastor's had a massive heart attack. We don't know if he's going to make it. And he didn't make it. Why? Can of soup. The Bible tells us we're going to close out with this verse. I want, I want to close out with the scripture because scripture is what gives us the power and strength and courage and faith that we need to be the people that we're called to be. But this is Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1, 2, three, and 3. It says, Therefore also... Since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and every sin that so easily ensnares us, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him who endured such hostility from sinners against himself, lest you become weary and discouraged in your own soul. You got to stay encouraged in your soul. You got to join a small group, man. You got to be around the right people. Stay encouraged in your soul. Now let's go down to Hebrews 12 and verse 14. It says this Pursue peace with all people and holiness. There's two things there. Pursue peace with people and holiness. 
without which no one will see the Lord. I used to, I was taught my whole life, if you're not holy, you're not going to see God. But that's not all it says. It says, pursue peace with people and holiness. I know you got to live right, but you got to be right with other people too. Like Abraham, you got to get the strife out of your life. It's not worth it. So what if they ripped you off? Just let them have it because you're forfeiting so much more because you're being petty over this little bit where you got gypped. Just let it go. Let it go. <laughs> Forgive them. Walk, have an abundance mentality. That doesn't mean you, ha- you should keep doing business with them or stay in, let them stay in your life. Not everybody deserves to be in your life. But you let it go so that you can have no strife and God can pour out on you what he really has for you. So be at peace with all people. One, one place in, this, in Scripture it says, be at peace with all people as much as is possible. I mean, it's more possible to be at peace with some folk than it is others. You know what I'm saying? All right. So be at peace with all people and holiness without which no one will see the Lord, looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up and cause trouble. So relational problems, the wrong people in your life is going to cause trouble. And by this, many become defiled. Lest there be any fornicator. That's somebody that if has sex with somebody they're not married to. That's called fornication, and that's not good. That'll kill you. Say, well, God doesn't want me to have sex. He does. He wants you to have a lot of sex, a lot of great sex with your spouse. In fact, just a little side note, maybe we'll talk about this in February during our, our marriage series, our relationship series, is that God invented sex. It was his idea. And if you'll do it his way, it's really good. And when you do it the world's way, people get hurt, catch diseases, die, have babies out of wedlock. All kind of stuff happens. That's not good. God wants you to have a good life. I mean, that, can I just testify for a second? Uh, I mean, I, I like to see a naked woman as much as the next guy because I'm a red-blooded, but I don't watch pornography. You're probably glad to know that about your pastor, but anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but it's not because my flesh doesn't want to, but I hear, I just, I'm, I'm not a very smart man, but my thought is, God gave me a beautiful woman. I'll just go look at her anytime I want to. That's one of the joys of marriage. Can I get an amen from anybody? I'm preaching good. Now I'm giving y'all bonus material the first service didn't get. But when you do things God's way, it's really good. Really good. Well, I don't want to give God 10% of my income. Trust me, it's a good deal. Shark Tank wants 51%. God just says 10% and I'll be your partner. <laughs> it's a good deal. I can't afford 10%. Well, can you afford to do it by yourself? I mean, the thing about having God as your partner is he knows everything and he's got a lot of resources. He's a great partner to have. Anyway, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau. What does that mean? Somebody who chose the soup over their destiny. Who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterwards when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected. For he found no place for repentance, though he sought it diligently with with tears. Oh God, why did I make that mistake? Why did I choose the soup? Oh God, I want the blessing. I want the blessing. And there's going to come a day when you want the blessing, but you don't qualify for it. Because you kept going to the soup bar. 
So on your way out today, you'll see that there's a stack of Campbell's soup out there. I want you to take a can of soup as a reminder that you're not going to eat the soup. Okay? Now, if you eat, actually eat the soup, it's okay. It's not going to hurt you. But, <laughs> but this is a metaphor. It's a symbol. I want you to take this as a symbolic reminder. Put it in your pantry or, or put, do not eat or put it somewhere just to remind you. Make it a paperweight on your desk. I ain't eating the soup. I don't care how cute she is. I don't care how much money they offer me. I don't care how good that's going to make me feel. Or I don't care if it's, ah, it's not really illegal. It's just, no, 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 no. I'm not eating the soup because God's way is better. What's your lot in life? What's your can of soup? So today, here's how we're going to wrap this up. We're just going to pray. I'm going to pray a, a, a cleansing prayer for you. And I want you to pray it with me if you need to. Because a lot of people, you need to clean up some stuff. You need to get altered. Come to the altar. Let alterations occur in your soul. Trade the soup for your soul. And get your soul back today. If you need to forgive somebody, forgive them. If you need to let some toxic relationships go, let them go. If you need to make some different stewardship decisions, make them. Don't be frivolous. Be wise. Don't spend when you should save. Don't, and don't save when you should give. God wants us to save and be generous. Both. Say, so well, I can't do both. Uh-huh. When, when there's not enough... In one area, it's because there's waste in another area. You find the waste, you'll have enough to save and to, and to give. You will. So, let's do a little house cleaning today in the tabernacle of our soul. Would you bow your heads with me just for a moment? And if you say, yeah, pastor, that's me, man. I'm not going to make you raise your hand or anything on this. But you say, I need to clean up some stuff. I need, and guess what? We all need to from time to time. And we need the Lord to help us. We need to clean up some stuff today. Would you just pray this prayer with me right now? It's probably going to be all of us. Just say this with me right now. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for your kind mercy to me. I need some help. I've got some broken things that I need to build an altar with. I'm turning in my soup. Would you heal my soul? Forgive me. Set me free. I recognize the soup. I recognize where I've been caught by the enemy, and I repent of it. I renounce it in Jesus' name, and I replace it with your word, with your people, with your presence, and I return to you in Jesus' name. Now, while you still have your heads bowed and your eyes closed, if you're here today, and you, you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. Like I said, I'm not going to call you forward or make you stand up or anything like that. Or if you're watching us online and you need to pray this prayer of salvation with us, pray right now. If you say, Pastor, I need to make Jesus the Lord of my life. Please include me in this prayer of salvation. Just real quickly, slip your hand up. Let me see who you are. Let me include you in this prayer. Awesome. I got you. One. Excellent. Two. I see you. Three. Four. God bless you. Five. Got you. Anybody else want to join these? You can put your hand down after I see you. Awesome. God bless you. I see you. Six. Anybody else? If you raised your hand or should have raised your hand, come on, pray this with us right now. Seven. God bless you. Pray this with us right now. We're all going to pray with you because we, want, we want you to know that we support you, man. We got your back. Let's all say it right now. Say, Dear Heavenly Father, 
forgive me of my sins. I need your spirit in my life. Please fill me now with your life as I confess. Jesus, you are my Lord. From this moment forward, I am yours. Amen. Man, can we just rejoice with those half dozen people that made Jesus the Lord of their life today?